We now come to the part of the weekend where we are back in the chapel, and you can probably tell that it looks a little different and that we've maybe shifted over to a little bit more serious music. Um, and this is a service of reconciliation that we offer each weekend um, to pilgrims and to staff. And the way we normally do this is not everybody that's part of the Episcopal Church has participated in reconciliation, or if you're not part of the Episcopal Church, this may sound all very strange and foreign. But fortunately, we have what in your pews is probably a red book of common prayer, but we have an instruction manual um, that will be in each of the stations. And if my clergy, brothers and sisters, might move to your stations so that people can see where you're going to be, easier now to do this later in the year, it's still light. So we have Mark over here, and have Tommy behind me, Thomas will be up there, Callie will be in the back, and I'm in the, the way far back towards the altar. And at each station there's two chairs, um, and a prayer book that should be open to Form 1, you don't even have to remember the page number, Form 1 of the Book of Common Prayer and a book like and there is just a back and forth between you and the clergy person that are there. You begin with, bless me for I have sinned. The priest or clergy person will offer a prayer. And then it comes to the part where it says, you will say, I confess to Almighty God, to his church and to you, that I have sinned by my own fault and thought, word and deed, and things done and left undone, especially. And then there's a blank. We're going to talk about that blank in a second. And for these and all other sins which I cannot now remember, I am truly sorry. And you continue on with the prayer. The clergy person that you are speaking with will offer some words in response to your prayer that you have offered. And will offer the assurance and forgiveness and absolution of the church. And then you can return to your seat. Now, in the Episcopal Church, we say reconciliation is one of those sacraments that all may, none must. If you're in a joking mood, you might say some should. Um, but it is one of the sacraments that is a gift of the church that people decide where they are in their life if it is a sacrament that they feel called to participate in. A few more housekeeping items. What you say to us stays with us. There's not like a secret clergy after party where we talk about all the things that we've heard. <laughs> it stays between you and the clergy person you're talking to and God. And that works both ways because one of the gifts of reconciliation is that you have the gift to leave it there with us. That's the how. Now let's talk about the why. Why you might choose to sit down in a chair and fill in the blank, and what you might feel called to say. And here I have to dramatically do this because I left my notes over here. <laughs> um, reconciliation is not about you sitting down and figuring out the long list of bad things that you may or may not have done or things that you meant to do or should have done or uh, things that you said and shouldn't have said. Unless those things on that list is something that is keeping you separated from your community or from God. Um, reconciliation is a gift 
that is offered by the church that says if you have a burden that is too heavy to carry, you don't have to carry it by yourself. And actually, you don't have to carry it anymore at all because you can leave it with us and the church can carry it for you and you can leave it behind. I've given this talk a couple of times, and I don't think I've ever told this story. If I have and you've heard it, pretend like you've never heard it before. But I don't think I've told it, because I think I told it for the first time a few months ago. But I realized not that long ago that I had achieved something that I never thought I would in my entire life, which is I have like run the sacramental bases of the church. I've done them all, right? I've received Eucharist. I've been confirmed, I've been baptized, managed to get married last year, and that still seems to have taken, that's the one that I never thought I'd be able to check off the list, right? Um, what are the other ones? I've been ordained, I guess I shouldn't forget that one. <laughs> I've done them all. And when I was thinking about how I got here, it goes back to Canterbury Chapel in Tuscaloosa, which is where I showed up as like a pretty beat up, rough-worn person in my mid-twenties, straight out of law school. And I was beat up because the world had kind of chewed me up. This was a rough time in the church, if you were gay. I was beat up because I had done a good job of beating myself up. And so I found my way to Canterbury. I grew up as a cradle of Episcopalian. I not a cradle. I've done all that. But I've been out of the church for a while. I find my way back to Canterbury Chapel, and I went dutifully every Sunday and did Eucharist and did the general confession that happened at the Eucharist service and had a good priest and a good community, but nothing ever quite seemed to fit. And I had tried real hard to live without the church. It's a lot easier, um, I think, if you can live without the church. Um, but Flannery O'Connor, if you're a Southern Gothic fan, and Wise Blood, her character describes being followed, being haunted by Jesus. And that Jesus is always sort of this ragged little figure just out of eyesight, jumping around in the trees that won't leave him alone. And that's kind of how I felt about Jesus, and that's certainly how I felt about the church. No matter where I went, I couldn't get far enough away from it, but it didn't still see it in my periphery. And so Eucharist didn't do it. My loving community at Canterbury Chapel didn't do it. And I finally came to Father Ken Fields, and I said, I don't know what's going on, but something, something's got to change. And he said, well, have you ever done reconciliation? I said, well, sure, I have. I've done it, I think, sometime as a youth somewhere. I don't remember what I would have said at that point. But I said, I'm willing to try anything, because this is just, it's not working, and it's a lot easier to not be here every Sunday than it is to keep coming. And he said, well, you need to go home and pray. You need to And so I took a week, and I wrote down lots of things that I knew I did wrong when I was wandering in the wilderness, as my father calls it, um, and things that I probably should have confessed. But when I got down to it and sat down and opened that prayer book and started that prayer and got to that blank, all I could manage to say was, I'm sorry that being gay hurts the church. And Ken Fields looked at me and he said, you don't have to worry about that anymore. It's the gift the church offers. Because in that moment, I didn't have to carry that anymore. Because Ken and the church and the community of Canterbury could carry it for me. 
And all of a sudden, the music sounded better. And the bread and the wine had more meaning. And the people that hugged me at the peace and told me they loved me, I could actually believe it. And I could experience church and community. It's not about being bad. It's about getting stuff out of the way so that you can see absolutely how good and loved you are. Which is why I picked the reading from Lazarus, right? This is one of my favorite gospel, like gospel readings from John about the raising of Lazarus. Is Jesus comes, and if you read it in a different version, of course, it's the easiest Bible verse to learn because it just says Jesus wept, right? He wept because he's sad because his friend died. And people are like, he's weeping enough that people look and they say, see how he loved him. And then Jesus calls Lazarus out. The miracles already happened, right? The dead have been raised. Christ knew it was going to happen, but he had to turn to the community and say, Cal, you need to unbind him and set him free. That's the gift of reconciliation. Jesus loves you. The grace is already yours. The healing and forgiveness are already there. But sometimes you've got to have somebody come take the bandages off so that you can walk around and breathe, you know. It's also my favorite gospel reading. Because in the other gospels, what gets Jesus in trouble enough where they decide they're going to arrest him and crucify him is that he cleanses the temple, right? Comes in, throws everybody out. And John is the love that Jesus has for Lazarus that brings him to raise him from the dead that leads them to conspire against him to arrest him. It's the love of a friend that leads to the love and ultimate grace of God to change the world on a cross and through an empty tomb. And it is that love and that Christ that is here and ready to meet you. So all may, none must. And even if you just want to sit in quiet contemplation, and we'll say there is music, I forgot that's one of the how things, there's music. People won't be able to hear what you're saying. This is a time that you can just let things go. Jesus is reminding the church that our job is to unbind you and to set you free. And so you're now invited to meet Jesus here.